Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, men who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi guys and welcome to episode 33 of the Alcohol Rethink Podcast. Today I am delighted to have on a special guest. His name is Craig Spear. So Craig's a former professional football player having played in the Canadian Football League with the Calgary Stampeders and Hamilton T-Cats. I think that's right, right? T-Cats, Craig? Hi cats. <laughs> yeah. I should have asked before. Uh, uh, he's also a lifelong entrepreneur, which I think is really important. Kind of why you're on, right? So in 2001, you set up your own Momentum Fitness, which is boutique chain of gyms that focus on creating non-intimidating gym experiences for members, which I can totally relate to, man. Uh, most recently, you've also created the Spear Method, which is an online weight loss program aimed at helping guys over 40 to lose weight so they can feel more confident, reach their potential uh, at work and at home, which is so important. Uh, as a leading health and fitness expert for the past 20 years, he's also helped countless people overcome challenges and fears in pursuit of living their best life. Craig, tell us all about it, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and I'm honored to be a guest with you, Patrick. Thank you. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I, you know, I love what you do. Um, when I reached out to you, I said that I think there's a lot of parallels in what we do. Uh, and also, for the guys listening, you've probably recognized now that the guys that I get on here is because there's a lot for me to learn about it as well, which I love. And, you know, things that are happening in my life. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to exploring and seeing what comes up. So I kind of given you a little bit of an intro, but perhaps Craig, you can just kind of tell us about your journey in a little bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I grew up a lifelong athlete and um, I was always involved in sport and fitness and went on to play, you know, university football. Uh, which is, you know, American football here. I know in, in the UK, you guys call football, yeah. but it should be called football. Um, we won't go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always loved just learning about the human body and uh, how to train and exercise. And, um, and then I ended up playing professional football, but I never wanted to sort of become a physiotherapist or, uh, a teacher, which is usually what you would do with the degree I have is like a kinesiology degree. And so I knew I wanted to uh, help people just get in the best shape that they can, but that was more on a physical level. So I opened up a chain, you know, in, in Canada, we have these big box gyms, right. And they're very intimidating, just lots of people, um, lots of fit, healthy people. So, you know, the general population, uh, I felt just didn't really have a place where they could go and feel comfortable. So I, I kind of scaled those big box gyms down and created a, a more uh, non-intimidating kind of environment. And um, along the way, I, I saw a lot of people who wanted to lose weight. And so I always thought, well, the approach was eat less and exercise more. And it works. And it, it, it did work with the people I worked with, but it didn't work long term. Um, you know, inevitably people who I worked with would stop working with me and go on their own and they'd end up putting the weight back on. And so, um, 
you know, once I, I ended up selling that business, I got into coaching, more one-to-one coaching and learning a little bit more about um, life coaching and what's really involved in why people overeat and why they gain weight. And so that's why I created the spear method um, because it gets more to the root cause of why men overeat, right? Which is an over desire for food and an over hunger for food. So once you get to the root cause um, and you do this kind of in a sustainable long-term way, the weight doesn't come back because you've created really healthy habits. So um, that's kind of been my journey to, to become a coach. Um, and I feel like it's a much more holistic kind of approach. It, again, you know, it gets away from exercise and dieting and restrictive dieting and focuses more on the, the root cause. And the analogy I, I ultimately talk about when I coach is, you know, if, if you had a broken arm, the, the kind of dieting and exercise approach would be just to take a pain pill for that broken arm, right? Gets to the kind of the superficial symptoms. But in order to kind of heal the arm, you got to get to the root cause, which is to ca- cast the, the break, so to speak, right? And the same thing with overeating is and gaining weight is you want to get to the root cause, which is that over desire and over hunger for food. So, so that's a lot of what I talk about in my coaching. Yeah, wicked man. And that reason for being on the show is because there's so many similarities with alcohol as well, for example. And of course, kind of anything that we we overdo, for example, like where we create that over desire. So, you know, it's not just it. food and alcohol, I think are probably two of the biggest ones, uh, just because, you know, the societies that we live in, food, because it's kind of important, right? Like we need it for survival. So I find that or do you find this like we we get it mixed up, right? Like because it's important for us, we think that we need it, and then so it's difficult to kind of ascertain, sorry, the difference between like, am I eating because I'm hungry, or am I just eating because I'm over desiring food? Yeah, that that is one of the difficult challenges with with overeating, because we need food to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of other things that we we overdo, um, you know, whether it's alcohol, right? We don't need alcohol to survive. Um, you know, watching too much TV, we can watch less TV. We don't need TV to survive, but food is, is there. And also there's, there's not so much of a stigma around food, right? You know, if you overuse drugs and alcohol, there is that stigma there. Um, and so that, that can definitely play a factor in it, but with food, like in our societies in the Western world, food is overly abundant. And so it's there for us. And it's not so much of a stigma to overeat, I would say in terms of, you know, when compared to alcohol and drugs and other things, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, especially coming up to Christmas, man. Oh, like, and uh, yeah. like, I know in the US and Canada, like Thanksgiving is already been and gone, where it is just like, super indulgence, right? Like it, just before we came onto this call as well we were talking about expectations and this is the same thing isn't it it's like this is expectation as we go into this festive period that you could just do what you want almost right and it, we justify it we make it okay it's like oh yeah but it's christmas right like i'll start again in january for example so we overeat we overdrink, you know and it just causes a lot of problems so kind of on that note what do you find 
happens with your clients in relation to alcohol, right? Like what's the kind of pattern or what do you notice about how alcohol shows up in the work that you do? Uh, yeah, it's some of my clients uh, are over drinkers, not all of them, but uh, definitely there is a pattern there where they rely on external sources or external things to make themselves feel better. So alcohol, drugs, food, pornography, um, you know, the internet, just scrolling on the internet. I think that's, that's part of the society we live in as human nature now that when we feel uncomfortable emotion, we want to go to a place that makes us feel better. And so with the clients I deal with, the men I work with, a lot of them overeat and they're not even really aware of just how much they're overeating. And I imagine a lot of the, the men that you work with as well is they're not entirely aware of how much they're over drinking. Right. And so the, the lines get blurred. And so a lot of the work we do, as you know, as a coach is just redefining like what it means to overdrink and to overeat and bringing that into perspective. And, and then that increased awareness is just so vital to success. Right. And once you understand uh, with much more clarity, I think it, it doesn't even have to be a dramatic shift just much more awareness into, into how much you are drinking and overeating. Right. So I think that's where the parallels lie. Um, and I think that's where I try to get my clients to really hone in on is, is just be more aware of how much you're drinking. Um, because I think once you become aware, then you can make more intentional decisions and, and change from that place. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know from my own experience, like I've always wanted to be somebody who's very health conscious and you know like always had aspirations of creating a six-pack for myself and going down the gym and stuff but you know like all through my teenage years 20s and early 30s like alcohol was such a big part of my life um because it is we use it for everything right like celebrate commiserate whatever mm -hmm. it might be so my own personal fitness goals were always compromised like I would have phases of like going down a gym and, you know, like really getting on it, but it was coming from this place of restriction. So I was doing it, but I was kind of like denying myself other things or even worse, I was doing both and not really getting the results. Well, not that alcohol ever gives you results, but I wasn't really getting the results in the gym because of the, the alcohol that I was drinking as well. So what do you say when clients come to you and they start to kind of notice that pattern of behavior and actually actually you know is alcohol part of the problem here yeah a lot of a lot of my clients they want to just quit alcohol together right which is very much all or nothing thinking you know if i just mm. quit the alcohol then i'm going to get all and I, you kind of explain that right like you know you would kind of go through these periods of just being really focused in on a gym and not drinking. And it, it, the unfortunate thing with that is with all or nothing thinking is it very much increases your desire, right? Because when we deprive ourselves of certain things, we just want it more and more. Mm -hmm. And so I try to kind of pull, help my clients pull the reins back a little bit and just say, well, you know, it's when, when you kind of want to change and you want to see a lot of change in your life, it makes sense for us to think that I might as well just eliminate all the bad stuff. Just quit drinking, quit the drugs, quit, you know, all the fast food or whatever it is. Um, 
But I think that that's not a sustainable approach, right? Because as you say, it's part of life. It's part of celebration. It's part of, you know, so I think what's, what's a much more sustainable long-term approach is to, you know, I talk about planning, right? Just being intentional. So understanding when you're going to drink, why you're going to drink, uh, creating a plan around it, have purpose. And ultimately the benefit of that is on the other end, when you've planned to drink or when you've planned how much you're going to drink, <clears throat> you, you don't feel the regret, you don't feel the guilt and the shame of over drinking because you've, you've been much more intentional. So it's kind of a, a benefit on both sides. Um, so I really try to teach my clients that kind of mindset around drinking rather than just quitting altogether. Um, and I think it also creates a, a framework and some boundaries around alcohol, right? And again, brings that awareness and consciousness back to your relationship with it rather than kind of working out like really hard and then over drinking at the same time and not really seeing the results. So, you know, when, you know, and this is something that I kind of want to ask you, you know, ask you about was a lot of times we get to a place where we don't like where we're at. So we're experiencing a lot of pain. So my clients are overweight. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they feel. Um, and so they want to move away from that pain point, right? And kind of hearing your story, you talked about, you know, getting to a place where you just were really hung over, didn't like how you felt and how you were, you were using drugs and alcohol to kind of balance each other out and how that was impacting your life and your family. And so you wanted to move away from that. So I'm really interested to hear from your perspective about like, how did that influence you when you got to a more sober place where, where alcohol wasn't part of your life? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think it's important to recognize that when I, when I was woke up that day and I was hung over and I was having all that shame about the night before, but that was my rock bottom, if you want. Right. And we talk about rock bottoms being that place of, you know, where the pain outweighs everything else what is it that tony robbins says right like you know when the pain's greater than the benefit then that's it i don't even think that's entirely true but we know where we're going with it and so i woke up and i i'd had had enough but it didn't just happen in that moment i'd been building up to it and i think probably over a year 18 months before I was going through this process of like questioning my relationship with alcohol, like really, you know, almost not enjoying doing it, but just going through the motions of it. And there were like times where I'd stop or I'd make up reasons why I was stopping like for fitness events. Right. I say, well, I'm not going to drink now because I'm doing this fitness. Like I'm doing this, um, not, not like a Spartan run, but something similar, right? Like an obstacle course run or whatever. So I wanted to be peak for that. So I say, I'm not going to drink. But again, right, like it was almost like forcing myself not to drink. And I, I would notice a difference. The same with uh, training for the marathon. Like I said, I'm not going to drink. And I didn't. But what I wasn't doing in between was like cleaning up my thinking around why I was doing it. I just knew that I didn't want to do it. So I think that process took me a bit longer because, you know, I was just figuring it out for myself. So that day when I woke up is like I'd, I'd been deciding ahead of time. And I think that's the key word there, right, is deciding. I made a decision, like I'd, I'd had enough. And even though I said that before, it's like I really 
knew it was true this time. Like I just knew that I'd had enough. And at first I said, I was just going to do one year, no beer. So I was just going to go for a year. There's a UK based company, do one year, no beer. I wasn't going to follow the program, but I loved the concept of it. Right. Like just challenging myself after about three or four months. I was just like, there's just no way I'm going to go back to drinking, man. Like <laughs> just recognizing all those little subtle changes, the, mm-hmm. the way I was feeling, you know, like not, I didn't pull up trees in that first year or even the first two years, right? Like this, this year, this third year that I'm coming up to like, man, my life has changed so much and it's incredible. And it could only have happened by stopping drinking. And it's interesting. You asked me the question as well, Craig, because I'm also having this same experience with food now as well. Mm. So when I stopped drinking, I, which I find is quite common with a lot of people, a lot of guys is that we, we replace it, right? Like we switch yeah. up addictions and become more focused on the food. So I was eating lots of sugary products and all of that stuff. And I'd go through phases, you know, like I'd go without, go with, go without. Uh, and then this summer I was training for the marathon again. And because, like, this is how crazy our brains can be, right? Cause I was doing such ridiculous mileage a week, like 40, 50, 60 miles. In my head, I'm like, yeah, I can just eat what I want, right? Like, just right. totally justifying it. The trouble is, like, once I stopped training for the marathon, I was still eating what I wanted, and it just felt so dirty. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so now, like, I'm I, for like a couple of months after that, I was like, I'm really done with this kind of like almost binge eating relationship I have with food. And you know, the last few weeks, even longer, like, it's just completely switched. And it's amazing, man. And it all comes from like just being open to that possibility that I've even had enough, that I'm done with it. And then, you know, having compassion, self-love for myself, like two Mm -hmm. other massive skills that I've been learning over the last year as well. So, yeah. And then here I am now kind of everything's slowly kind of maybe not even slowly, but everything's just coming into alignment. So, yeah, making a decision, I think, is key. Yeah, you, you put that really well. And one thing that I often teach my guys is like, you know, yes, pain is an excellent short-term motivator, right? It gets you out of that place and makes you take action. But then what happens when you start to see some success, you know, so specifically with the guys I work with, they'll lose 10, 15 pounds. They'll receive compliments from people who are noticing. And then that pain has faded away. Well, now what, Right. Now what tends to happen is I see guys revert back a little bit. They stop doing yeah. what they, they what got them there, you know, and then they repeat that cycle. They put the weight back on and then they, you know, take action again. And so um, in addition to making that decision, which I think is really powerful, what you explained, I think it's, a, you also said this as well as seeing what's possible is creating that vision for yourself, you know, like that future self, that that new version of yourself and having that as the motivator, like moving towards something rather than away from something mm. because the pain will get you somewhere, but it's not, not going to get you all the way there. And so same thing with, with quitting drinking, I think is, is creating a vision for yourself, you know, an identity for yourself that you can move towards as being someone who's sober and, and touching that every now and again, like connecting with that, because the pain is only going to get you so far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it, man. And I, I think that was the final piece in there is it's all about identity. So, you know, when your guys are stuck 
getting their results or when my guys start getting their results and somebody says something, if they are still believing or still have some kind of identity of, of who they were previously, well, we know how the brain works. You know, it's, it wants to be right. It's going to say, oh, well, <laughs> you know, fuck you. I'm just going to go back to the way that I was then to prove to prove you right, to prove me right. Who knows? So, yeah, like changing that identity, like thinking about, OK, well, who am I as somebody who doesn't overeat? Who am I as somebody who doesn't overdrink? Like, what would I be doing differently? Like, taking yourself to that place. What else do you find? No, it's such a great point. You, like, you have to create a vision of what's possible because you're right. Your brain's going to look for evidence to prove that to be true. You know. Um, so, sorry, what was the question again? What else do I find? Yeah. Well, actually, sorry, just like you've sparked my brain off again. It's like, again, it's that all or nothing thinking, isn't it? It's like, that's how it shows up when we are trying to make those changes. So when you want to shift your identity, it's like, well, I'm either this or I'm that, but it's like, where can you meet yourself in the middle to begin with? Where, where, how can you hold both identities to begin with? Right. Because then there's way less shame. There's way less judgment on yourself. You know, like you can be more forgiving if if you overeat, for example, because this is the, the trap, right? Like we, I don't, who knows why we do this, right? But we do something that we don't want to do. And then we think that kicking the shit out of ourselves is going to be the thing that changes us, but it just has the opposite effect. Yeah, it's such a great point. It, it really, it just made me think, yeah, like that is the, another downside to all or nothing thinking, right? Like if I'm not meeting that standard and that expectation, then I'm not doing this right. Or, you know, I, I must not be, I'm not going to succeed. And so then we kick the shit out of ourselves and, and we revert back, right? Because it just feels better to indulge and overeat and overdrink. Like that feels good in the moment, but it certainly doesn't get us closer to who we want to be. So, you know, the antidote to all or nothing thinking, right? And, and, and just for your, for your guys listening, like, all or nothing thinking leads to self-sabotage, right? So if you find yourself thinking, I need to stop doing X, Y, and Z, right? That's the first sign. Like just getting rid of something or eliminating something is the first sign. And you need to kind of check that and be like, well, what, what's a different approach? How can I do part of that? And the other thing is that the antidote to all or nothing thinking is really celebrating the small wins, you know? Um, that that's so important. Like uh, one of the things I have my guys do is every week, just kind of check in. Maybe it's a Friday afternoon before you're, you're going to head out for the weekend or something along those lines. Just look back at what you did that week and celebrate all the little progress that you have made because it's amazing. Like winning breeds more winning, right? And we get a taste of winning. We want to do more of it. And so instead of like celebrating our losses, let's celebrate our wins, no matter how small they might be, because that's what will lead to more and more uh, success ultimately. Yeah, I love that, man. Like <laughs> the only way to get to a big win is by little wins. And I think yeah. also like we imagine, or I personally imagine like, oh, when I get to this thing, like I'm going to have this big celebration about myself. And invariably when we get there, we often don't do that because life is just like keep going on around us right so yeah by actually celebrating those little wins along the way can feel so much more rewarding like you're actually moving towards something 
Why do yeah, you so, think? So, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just to say, like, you know, for you guys who are thinking about going on this this sobriety journey, is to say, like, you know, celebrate even just the urges that they might have to drink. Not even a full day, but just like I had an urge to drink and I didn't drink. That's that's a small win, right? That's a mm-hmm. victory. And then, yeah, celebrating the days you didn't drink or celebrating the events where you didn't get completely hammered, right? Like going to a wedding or going to a Christmas party where you normally would get to celebrate that say, you know, the old me would have done that. I would have been obliterated, woke up, hung over, but actually like still drank, which is okay. And woke up the next day and was functioning. So those are the things you got to celebrate, not just the, the all in, like, I haven't had a drink. Like, it's great if you haven't had a drink in months or years, absolutely. But don't aim for that. That's, that's too big of a, a target, right? Yeah, just, yeah. just like recentering, like, why am I doing this? Like, what could I yeah. notice along the way? Yeah, because the little wins, they yeah. make it. They make yeah. it all. Why do you think then that we dismiss them? Oh. Such a good question. There's, there's comfort in, you know, there's comfort in, in kind of the excess. And I think, you know, we know about the motivational triad, right? We know about how we want to conserve energy, seek pleasure and avoid discomfort. And there's a certain level of familiarity, like our brain likes consistency pattern, our brain likes familiarity and when you start to remove that stuff it feels starts to feel uncomfortable right and so then our brain kind of hits the fire alarm and says like well, wait a minute here we, we don't want to go down this path right we don't know what's coming and so let's just stay stuck in mediocrity and unhealthy behavior and discount the small wins so to speak right discount the the positive things that we're seeing from the discomfort we're experiencing. So I think that's, that's partly at play. Yeah, man. If that makes sense or not. Yeah, yeah it does. Cause also like, what's the brain's agenda when you're doing that, <laughs> you know, like by creating those discomfort, uncomfortable feelings, you know, they are the exact thing that we're trying to run away from in the first place. Mm-hmm. Something else as well, as you were speaking, that came up for me is like, when we aren't moving, when we aren't kind of like buffering, uh, and by buffering, I mean kind of avoiding, resisting emotions that feel uncomfortable, often we can think about them being, you know, like angry, frustrated, sad, deprived, whatever it might be. And I think with alcohol, like one of the biggest fears of people stopping drinking is like, well, how do I have fun if I don't drink? And I think that when you're not drinking or even with, with like not eating those foods that create all of that dopamine in your brain it's this uncomfortableness to feel positive emotions so uncomfortable to feel happy right like to feel proud to have fun because of your kind of preconceived ideas that you can't have it anyway so when you have your little wins it can almost feel uncomfortable to celebrate them because it's not something that you've done before. Like it might feel weird to feel happy about resisting an urge because you kind of like, well, it's just an urge, man. Like it's not getting me to where I want to go. So it's almost like that inability to feel those positive emotions as well, which is kind of fascinating, really. It is. It's such a great point. And and it's so important that we teach our, our clients this. And, 
and being able to feel positive emotions as well as negative emotions. Right. And, uh, I I'm, I'm guilty of that. Like I'm always this, I'm this ambitious person who's always looking for the next thing and striving. And, uh, a lot of times I'll discount the success I've had in my life because I don't feel you know, part of it is being worthy of success and feeling that joy without needing external things to make us feel happy. So absolutely. Like it's a culture that you create within yourself. You know, it's, it's part of creating a new identity is like, you know, a person who doesn't drink alcohol or who doesn't overeat, uh, they're probably really someone who is really proud of themselves and really, um, affirms what they're doing on a regular basis. So I love the way that you put that, you know, the importance of, you know, celebrating the positive emotions that we experience. Um, and it's funny, it's like, we we're taught not to feel any emotion at all. Right. Or, yeah. or certainly you feel happy all the time. Uh, and that's just not the way life works. Right. And that's not a, a sustainable model. So, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like if you feel proud that you didn't have a drink, you know, like you went to an, a wedding and you, and you didn't have a drink, right? It's almost like what comes up for me is the word arrogant, right? Like, oh, you, you can't do that. Like people think that you're showing off or that you're mm. trying to be better than them and all of this, right? Like it's all of that social conditioning. Like just like, there's this analogy, right? I don't know if you've heard it, but uh, there's these crabs in a bucket. It's not even an analogy. It's a real life thing, right? Like fishermen, they go out and they catch all these crabs and they put them in a bucket. And when one of the other crabs tries to escape, like it will get right close to the top, but then all the other crabs will pull it back down. Hmm. And I think like we can do that to ourselves. You know, we do something that makes us feel proud of ourselves or could have the potential to feel proud of ourselves, but it's almost like we don't allow ourselves to do it. So we pull it back. It's like, no, no, you can't do that, man. Like, that's not okay. It's not safe. It's not what, it's not what we do. <laughs> um, except and it is a skill right it's a skill that you can learn and yeah i don't know kind of like going off in my own thoughts here now but <laughs> that's I okay think... i love that analogy it's such a great analogy how we will self-sabotage i see it all the time like just my clients will start to see success they see a lot of success and yet there's still that tr that potential that they could fall back put weight back on you know um and so it's like, why, why do we do that? Why do we self-sabotage? Why do we um, discount all the positive things that we're doing? Um, and so this is why you can't just focus on the action. You can't just focus on, you know, stopping drinking or not overeating or exercising. Um, Cause that's not the root cause. You gotta, you know, like you've done, you've, you've looked at the thoughts that have impacted you right? You've looked at how your thinking has impacted your, your desire. And so that's why this work is so much more important to be able to, to look at that, the reasons why you drink, uh, you know, how other people are going to perceive you and what you make that mean. Um, yeah, I think it's so, it's so important to, to dive deeper if you're going to go on this journey. Yeah, man. And that's it. It's all about changing that story, changing that script that you've got about yourself, because, I, you know, like in my notes here, I'm thinking like when we self-sabotage is because we're trying to prove some kind of I'm, 
conscious belief that we have about ourselves maybe it's not even con- unconscious maybe it's conscious right but like the self-sabotage is like trying to prove something about ourselves or, or to kind of match somebody else's expectations of us but when we start changing that story when we start thinking about possibility about how else we could be different well then you've got something else to start moving towards you don't have to be the crab in the bucket <laughs> yeah you know I love that. It's a great analogy. Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, some guys probably wondering, yeah, it's all well and good, Patrick and Craig, but like, how the hell do you feel proud? What are you talking about? (laughs) So what would you say to guys who want to kind of like access their feelings? Well, we know uh, feelings all come from our thoughts, right? Um, You know, circumstances are always neutral and what we make our circumstances mean, what we think about, uh, ultimately influences how we feel. And so, you know, we have 60,000 thoughts a day, uh, according to, I don't know who, but that's kind of the running stat these days. Um, and so it's, it's vital that we take a step back. We take time, you know, we create a practice, we create a ritual where we start to identify the thoughts we are having, right? Because left, left to our own devices, these thoughts just kind of fly through our brains at breakneck speed and we're not even aware of them. And so the first step is to create awareness. And that's where guys have to start, start to realize what they're thinking about. And, you know, we've learned uh, through our, our practice and through our coaching and, and learning um, the importance of kind of doing a brain dump, like a thought download and, and putting your thoughts to paper. I mean, that's, where I always tell guys to start is just start getting your thoughts on paper and you'll start to see patterns. You'll start to see the same thoughts that you have the same every day. Right. Um, and I think that that's ultimately what you have to do. And, and so when it comes to over drinking, for example, write down all the thoughts you have about drinking, you know, what do your friends think? If, if you were to not drink, what do you make that mean? Um, same with overeating. What do you, what's your relationship with food? Why do you overeat? What do you, you know, what do you think about food? And, and so really uncovering all that is, is the first step. Nice. Yeah. I had a uh, Kevin Baker on last week as well. We, we were talking about social anxiety and I think that comes up with food and alcohol as well. Right. Like that's why sometimes we can find ourselves drinking or eating so understanding all of that thought process about why you think you need to eat like why can't you talk to other people and stuff so yeah such great advice i uh just a note guys if you are going to start doing that journey and stuff like from my experience like i wanted to avoid it often and that was because i believed everything that i was writing and so I was writing down these thoughts and I kept seeing them same thoughts. And I'm like, I was identifying like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. But actually what we're doing is like, this is just what I'm currently believing. So from that place, like you can start to give yourself a bit more wiggle room, a bit more, uh, what's the word? Perspective. (laughs) Uh, And start to kind of like shift away from that. So yeah, top, top advice. I think also uh, for me, like I have this idea of like the three P's of sobriety. So it, it's about planning and it's possibly similar for you, right? Like it's about planning. And I think part of that planning can be that, that journaling stuff. The, the next one is patience. It's like really being patient with yourself, like understanding that you're not just going to change your patterns, habits, ways of being in a day, in a week, in a month, right? Like it might even take a year. 
and then if you've got patience and you're kind of like knowing that it's going to happen like because you've decided right and then it's about practicing which is what we've been talking about practicing like w- what is possible for me how do i want to show up what do i want to think about like all of, and, and practicing uh the celebrating the little wins you know because there's so many new things that you can start doing on this journey for whether it's overeating over drinking over anything basically so yeah three p's of sobriety i love that i i, I like to add a fourth p and that's process um, oh yeah nice and that can be taken kind of two ways one is to um create a process you know like james clear he wrote atomic habits um he said you know we don't rise to the level of our goals we fall to the levels of our systems Right. And so creating a framework that you can rely on to help create new habits so creating a process and a system to guide you through the other way to kind of interpret the word process might be to process everything that's going on for you, you know, to reflect, uh, as you said, um, I love that. I love the three P's that, that I'm going to, I'm going to be using that Patrick. <laughs> yeah, Go for it, man. Yeah. Patience is so important, man. Like it mm-hmm. comes under that compassion and self-love bracket. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. Craig, one final question for you, man. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to be radically human? Mm. Well, I, um, I have a three-year-old daughter and we read, you know, storybooks every night when she's going to bed. And one of the books, uh, that she has is, is called I am human. Uh, have you heard of this book? No, yeah. but I'm definitely going to check it out as soon as we finish. <laughs> it's a great little uh, children's book. There's other ones. I am yoga and I am um, uh, empathy or something like that. But, you know, throughout this story, the author kind of weaves through like the importance of understanding when that humans make mistakes essentially is the narrative, right? And to be radically human, I believe, is to understand we make mistakes, we're not perfect. And that that's okay, whether we overdrink, we overdo drugs, we overeat, um, that doesn't make us a bad person, it makes us human, right? And so to be radically human, I believe is to accept that and to come from a place of hope to be able to change that. So I think, I think that's what it means to be radically human is to accept who you are and what your mistakes you've made and to have hope to be able to change that. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I love that, man. Where there's hope, there's life, as they say. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Craig, how can people get hold of you, man? Tell them where to go. They can get hold of me a number of different ways. They can go to my website, thespearmethod.com. They can go to Instagram, um, at the spear method. And uh, I'm only mostly hang around on LinkedIn. So if they're, uh, if they're on LinkedIn, I'd love to connect there. They can, uh, check me out, Craig Spear, just search for me and, uh, you'll see, you know, uh, weight loss coach for men over 40 as my, my main descriptor there. So that's, that's the best, best place to get me. Wicked. Yeah. All right, man. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Patrick. It's been a joy. Thanks, man. Nice one. All right. See you soon, Craig, and see you soon, guys. Take care and bye-bye. If you want to find out more about working with me and seeing how I can help you stop drinking and start showing up in life the way that you really want, visit patrickjfox.com to find out more 
or book a free consultation using the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.